Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church of Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Good morning, Paseo. Have a seat. Hey, it is really cool to have our student band up here with us today, leading us in worship. And what's really cool here at Paseo is we think that little kids and middle-sized kids and student kids, like the young people like this, have a spiritual life and that they worship the Lord and that they grow in their relationship with the Lord. It's so cool to have, the, have our students leading us in worship this morning. So thank you, uh, students, for doing that and sharing with us this morning. Amen. Uh, hey, listen, if you are not a member of Paseo Del Rey Church, we want you to grab your bulletin and we would uh, love to have, uh, treat you to lunch next Sunday. It's our new members lunch and it's about an hour, hour and 15 minute lunch. We take care of your kids as well. And it's where you'll learn a little bit more about Paseo Del Rey and why we do what we do and what we believe. And then if you're interested, there's no obligation, but if you're interested then in becoming a member of Paseo Del Rey, we'll share with you how you do that. And so we would love to have you uh, join us next Sunday for lunch if you would like. Let us know on your 3x5 card if you would. And also on that little, or it's a 4x5 card. If you're a guest with us today, we want to say welcome. We're really glad to have you with us. And we'd just ask you to fill out that 4x5 card so we know who you are and drop you a note and pray for you and care about you. And you can drop that in the offering plate a little bit later. There is a whole bunch of other good, really good information in your bulletin and on our website, and we just encourage you to look there and uh, read over this and see what God's doing here at Paseo del Rey. Well, we're going to jump into the Word. Uh, we're in John chapter 17. We're in a, a last message in a, about a 17 weeks, 15, 16, 17 week series of messages called Abide. Uh, it's uh, it, these chapters of John, John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all take place in one evening in just really a couple of hours on G- in Jesus' last night as a living here on earth. And so we've been kind of studying, we have been studying through those. And uh, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at this prayer that Jesus prays uh, at the end of his time with his followers there, just before he's about now to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane and then be arrested and then uh, taken away for this uh, a weekend of his crucifixion and then of his resurrection. So John 17, if you'll find it, there's a Bible near you if you don't have it. It's on page uh, 1084. Isn't it great when um, someone tweets you or texts you or says to you or calls you or however they communicate with you and they say to you, um, hey, I know things are a little rough right now, but I want you to know I'm with you. Um, it's, it, one way or the other, they communicate, um, hey, listen, we're pulling for you. Uh, we, we think you're going to make it. Uh, and you know, it could be that you're, um, uh, you know, maybe you're in the hospital and you're waiting on some medical tests and somebody comes along and they just really encourage you with words that, hey, um, we're praying for you. We're thinking about you. Or maybe it's just life is just crazy busy and you don't know how you're going to get all the things done before that date that need, all these things need to get done. And someone just comes alongside of you and they just say, hey, listen, we're really thinking about it. We know things are kind of rough right now. 
And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hang in there with you through this situation. And they're not just blowing smoke, right? They, they really mean it. Maybe you've had a, um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation with someone. And when I left the conversation, I, just, I was confused. And I just didn't know what that conversation really meant. And someone came up to me the next day and they just said, hey, something's going on in your life. I'm not sure what it is, but I just want you to know that we're with you. We're, we're, we're going to hang with you through this thing. And it, it just meant, I tell you, to know that other people are with you and thinking about you and praying for you, boy, it can just encourage you, can't it? Kind of keep you going. Um, one of our sons took a, a circuitous route through college. Uh, some of you parents know how that is. Some of you know how that is. Uh, he took the... Uh, three or four college route, three or four major route, and seven-year plan through college. And, uh, you know, but have, let me tell you this. He made it. He made it. Man, I'll tell you what. And, and all through this route, right, we were there. We were cheering him on. We were pulling for him. We were encouraging him. We were praying for him. No, 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 not yet. Not yet. Take that down. Take that down. Not yet. Thank you, though. Uh, that, was my, that was my bad. And all the way through college, we were really cheering for him. And so at his graduation, we wanted to make sure that we were all there and he knew we were all there and how proud of him we all were. So what we did is we thought, well, you know, there's just thousands of people in this arena. How is our son going to know that we're really there for him? So we took a picture of him from oh, I don't know, about fourth or fifth grade. And we had it enlarged a little bit. And so when his name was called and he marched across the stage, uh, here's what we did. Now, I want you to notice the usher coming down. She was not happy about what we were doing. And she let us know. But we got this for a while. And then, and then, and then here's the picture. Uh, the freckle face. Where's Miss, Miss Aaron's was his... Uh, fourth or fifth grade teacher. She probably remembers our son like this. But now, now, listen, you can't do this to all your kids, okay? But this son you could do this with. And he loved it. And he just, he thanked us for this. And he enjoyed this so much because it said to him, what? We're with you. We love you. Thank you very much. So, doesn't it feel good, not when someone holds up an eight-foot-high picture of you at your graduation, although it felt good for him, doesn't it feel good when people come alongside you and say, I'm with you? And what we're going to discover this morning is something even better than a ma- dad and a mom and brothers and sisters and people encouraging and coming alongside of us. But what is even more significant is when God Himself comes alongside of us and he says I'm with you when God himself in the person of Jesus prays for us and I don't know if you I don't know if you really get that or understand that I don't know if I really get that or understand that that Jesus prays for us that he's prayed for us in the past that he's praying for us right now You'll see on your message outline there a bunch of scriptures that are are small little scriptures there that you'll want to go back and look at and discover how Jesus is praying for us now and how He will continue to pray for us. 
It's Jesus who comes alongside of us all the time and is encouraging us and is praying for us. And here's the thing. When Jesus prays for us, when Jesus prays, it happens, right? My prayers aren't all that effective. One of the other occupational hazards of being a pastor is that people ask you to pray and they say things like, you're so much closer to Him. If they only knew me. All of us are close to Jesus, but the one who has the most effective prayers in the whole universe is Jesus Himself. And when Jesus prays, it happens. And I want you to know, I want you to go home from this this service this morning realizing and experiencing that Jesus is praying for you. And when Jesus prays for us, it will happen. Jesus, and what we're going to discover this morning is in John 17, verse 20. Here it is. Jesus prays this for us. Look at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now, until now in this prayer, Jesus has been mainly praying for his first century disciples. He's mainly been praying for those 11 that are still hanging out in that second story room with him. Most of the prayer in John 17 is a prayer for them. And, and, and that's, that's good. Because they especially needed Jesus' prayers, didn't they? Those original 11. Because imagine if those original 11 would have um, hunkered down and kept the words and the life of Jesus to themselves and never spread it out. They needed His prayer, right? Because Jesus knew that they were going to be facing awful odds. They were going to be facing terrible persecution. So Jesus prays for them that they'll have courage as they go out into the world that the evil one won't beat them back. Because if the evil one would have beat those 11 back, we wouldn't be here, right? We would have never heard the good news. And so it's really, really good that the first century disciples, those 11, were prayed for by Jesus. They needed Jesus' prayers, and it's good. But now Jesus prays for us. He stops praying for those 11 original disciples, and He begins to pray for us. Let's keep our finger in the text to see how this is true. Verse 20, Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. Now, we have to understand, we always want to understand the context, right? Now, Jesus, from the beginning of chapter 17, has been praying for the original 11. Now he makes this switch, this turn, and he says, my prayer now is not just for those original 11, the original 11 disciples, apostles, but now, he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the original apostles' message. Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for people in the 2nd century and in the 5th century and in the 15th century and in the 20th century and in the 21st century and in the centuries that are to come who will come to believe in Him through what? Through the message of the 1st century disciples or apostles who He has just been praying for. So it's really cool that He was praying for the 11. Man, I am so grateful that He prayed for them. But now Jesus switches His prayer you got to get this. you got to get this. Jesus now prays for you and for me. 
My prayer is not for them, the them is the first century disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message of the first century disciples. That's us that now Jesus, he turns his prayers and he turns them toward us. And he is praying and he will continue to pray for us. And if Jesus prays for us, what this means is that we're going to make it. Now you see, if I come alongside you and say, you're going to make it. I'm hoping you're going to make it. I'm praying that you're going to make it. And that's a good thing to do, right? But if Jesus comes alongside of us and says, I'm praying for you, guess what? You're going to make it. Because no one is as effective and as fruitful. The Father answers the Son's prayers, right? They are one. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So when the Son prays to His Father, it's a done deal. Jesus is praying for you. You and I are going to make it. He has been praying. He is praying. And He will continue to pray as He pulls alongside of us. This is not self-assurance. This is God-assurance. What I want you to leave with today is God-assurance because Jesus Himself is praying to His Father for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to look in this prayer, this last few verses. We're not going to dig out everything, and I'm not going to spend an extended time on any of the things that we talk about. But I'm just going to pull out five ways here in this prayer. There's more than that. But five ways. We might not even get to all five of them. I'm going to share with you five ways that Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for me. How He has prayed and how He will continue to pray for us. So these are things that you can be sure of. You can have God assurance that these things will happen in our lives. So if you have your message outline, you might want to follow along. The first thing that Jesus prays for us is words with hope. Words with hope. That's what I'm calling it. In verse 20, Jesus prays. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, for the original 11, right? I pray also for those who will believe in me through the original 11's message or words. Now, you you understand what this message or words are of the original 11? It's what you have on your iPhone or what you have in your lap. It's the New Testament. That's the message that Jesus gave to the first 11 disciples. And Jesus prayed for them that they would remember all that He told them and that they would write these things down so that generations to come would understand who Jesus is. Um, I'm so glad Jesus prayed for the original 11 that they would write these words down because what if we would have gotten a cheap, cheap Gospels? What if we would have gotten Gospels that were man-centered? What if we would have gotten Gospels that only told part of the story? What if we would have gotten Gospels that would have sent us in the wrong way? But we didn't, did we? Because Jesus prayed that the message would be clear, that the Holy Spirit would guide the writing of the words of the New Testament so that we could come to know Jesus clearly through these words. Jesus' prayers were answered, weren't they? Because what you have in your lap or on your digital device are the words in the New Testament, the words of the apostles that Jesus spoke to. Now, um, go back. We're going to just stay in John, but go back to John chapter fourteen, verse twenty-five. How did Jesus? uh, uh, How did Jesus answer his own prayer? 
Well, look at John 14, verse 25. Jesus earlier in this evening said, He says, uh, 14.25, All this I have spoken while I am still with you. But the Advocate, or the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, who did Jesus say everything to? He didn't say it to me. He didn't say it to you. Who did He say it to? Those 11, right? This is first and foremost, although not exclusively, but it's first and foremost a promise to the original 11 that Jesus would, the Father would send the Spirit, the Son would give the Spirit to those 11 so that what? What is it? 11, 20, uh, or excuse me, 14, 25? Uh, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Why did the Holy Spirit need to remind those original of everything that He'd said to them? So they could write it down. So we could get a New Testament. So we could see how Jesus lived and walked and talked and who He is. This prayer's been answered. It's in your lap right now. It's in your iPhone. This is the work, a work of the Holy Spirit. Or go to chapter 15. Look at the very end of chapter 15. Um, and we go to several other places in this passage. When the Advocate comes, verse 26, chapter 15, verse 26, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Holy, that's the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He will, the Spirit will testify about Me. And you also must testify, for you have been with Me from the beginning. I was not with Jesus from the beginning. But the eleven were, right? Jesus, this is another uh, first and foremost promise to the eleven. It has more implications than that. I understand that. But it's first and foremost, if we keep our finger in the text, for the eleven, that when the Holy Spirit comes, what the Holy Spirit is going to do is He's going to testify about Jesus. We're going to see in a minute. That's, I think, all that the Holy Spirit does all the time. He's just always pointing us to Jesus. He's just always telling us about Jesus. He's just always redirecting us to Jesus. He's always bouncing us back to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He lives to give glory to the Holy Spirit, to, 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 to the Son and to the Father. And it says here that the Holy Spirit will testify to those original 11 so that, and then, then they're to testify. And I think that testifying is their writing of the New Testament that we have in our hands today. Jesus has answered this prayer because the way that you came to believe and the way that I came to believe, right? My prayer is not for them alone. Back in chapter 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I came to believe in Jesus when I was 17 years old through the message of the original 11 apostles. As someone opened to help me to understand and to read the New Testament, and I discovered who Jesus was, that he wasn't who I thought he was. He wasn't an ogre in the sky who lived to ruin my life, and any time I was going to have any fun, he was going to put the kibosh on it. And that I was already so bad that there was no hope for me. That's who I thought God was. And as I began to read the New Testament, I began to discover a Jesus who's very different, right? A Jesus who keeps coming to the wrong people. 
A Jesus who comes to the tax collectors. A Jesus who comes to the, to the drunks. A Jesus who comes to a woman that's been married four times and the guy she's shacking up with now is not her husband. Jesus, you are going to the wrong people. Because see, I thought Jesus only came to the good people, the righteous people. But the New Testament, the apostles tell us the story of a Jesus who loves people who fail and who loves people even after they fail again and again and again. And He brings His grace. He brings the Gospel into their lives. And we discover together through the writings of those original 11, this New Testament, and through the rest of the Bible too, a Jesus who's far different than we thought He was. A Jesus who comes to the wrong people and comes back to the wrong people and comes back to the wrong people. He comes to Zacchaeus. This this odd guy who rips people off and Jesus goes to his house for dinner. Um, Last Saturday, uh, I I played in a disc golf, a week ago yesterday, I played in a disc golf tournament. Uh, Jerry Zeller, one of our guys from our church here, and I went to this disc golf tournament together. And it was out at Singing Hills or... Saquon, I think they call it now. And we just signed up for it. It just sounded like fun. So we got paired up with these three other guys. They were pretty neat guys, and we were playing. They had pretty colorful language. Not Jerry, not Jerry. But the other guys had some pretty colorful language. In fact, I I wanted to give them a thesaurus because they were really short on adjectives. They just knew one adjective. One One of the guys in particular, they were just, and I'm just thinking this whole time, they're gonna find out what I do. And they're going to find out what Jerry does. He's a missionary, just retired missionary. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, am I going to lay it on him? We're going to have a Jesus moment out here on the disc golf course. And so we're playing, and I don't know, we've been playing for a couple hours or something and just having a heck of a time. They're just really nice guys, and we're just having fun. We're laughing about everything, especially about my shots and my, my disc golfing. So finally, one of the guys, the, the, the guy that was the most, int- most colorful, says to Jerry, he says, well, what do you guys do? Okay, here we go, here we go. And he's standing, he's standing right next to Jerry when he says it. And so Jerry says, you got to tease Jerry about this when you see him, okay? Jerry says, well, I'm retired. (laughs) He's a pastor of a church in Chula Vista. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. So this guy, he was just this great guy. He falls on top of Jerry. Well, at least you could have told me earlier, you know? And this guy is kind of a physical guy, you know, I mean, a real friendly guy. So he comes over to me, and he's kind of, he's, Mike, you might just stay right there. Oh, stand there. Yeah, that's even better, Mike. Thanks. He, the guy's going, oh, man, he says, I, I, hope, I hope it's okay. And I said, I said, thank you. I said, I said, I said, Jesus loves all us rascals. And that's all I said to the guy right there. I said, Jesus loves all of us rascals. And then later in the next one, I said, you know, I said, I'm a rascal too. And just through the rest of the day, I just had just a little... And at the end of the day, we invited them. To, uh, they don't live in this area, but we invited all three of the guys to church. We knew churches in each of the areas these guys lived in. And then here was the really cool part. Was just before we left, they said, one of the guys says, hey, we've been talking. I thought, oh, no. He says, we'd like you to, inv- to join our club. I'm looking around. Wow. So we, we're rascals together, aren't we? You see, and this is the beautiful thing about the New Testament. The apostles, see, they were rascals, weren't they? Peter, 
All of them scattering, failing Jesus. And Jesus says, peace I give you. I knew you were going to fail me. He tells them before they're going to fail him. And he says, welcome home. Because he's this God who loves rascals. He doesn't love perfect people. Because there are no perfect people. He loves people who know they're rascals, right? Who know they need the gospel. That don't need self-help or fix-me-up stuff. They need Jesus who begins to change us slowly but surely to live for His glory. Jesus prayed for you and me. This is what Jesus prays for. Is that we would have words of hope that help us to know who Jesus is. This is what Jesus prays for you and me. So that we would know who He is and live for Him and love Him and share Him with others. Because others out there think you have to be perfect to be loved by Jesus. I am the living example that you don't. That you can't be. And you are too. Let that be seen by people that you live, for, live with. Jesus will help you because Jesus prays for this. He prays this for us. For, uh, for us. Okay, here's the second thing that I see here in this passage. Um, it's that, that, that Jesus prays that we would have community with purpose. That we would have community with purpose. Now here's where I see that. Uh, verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the New Testament. That's us. That prayer is being answered. That all of them, all of these believers may be one. I'm going to use that word one this morning to talk about community. Because what the Father and the Son and the Spirit have is community, right? They have these rela- this relationship of loving one another and caring for one another. I, I, I pray this, Jesus says, verse 21, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one, they may be a community as we are a community. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, here's the purpose, the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them, your followers, even as you have loved me. You see, it's not just community for community's sake. It's not just community to throw disc golf uh, discs around. It's not just community just to hang around. But it's community with intentionality. Jesus prays that we would be, to, as believers, so connected to each other, so uh, forgiving of each other, so loving of each other, so uh, serving one another, considering the other more highly than ourselves, that, that as the Father and the Son are in, that, in a community, that we would be in a community, that the Holy Spirit would help us to bind together so that those that are outside the community of Christ would see and hear and know, and our love for each other would actually, would, would actually flow out of our community. It would flow out into our community, our wider community, that others would come to know the love of Jesus Christ. When we go down to Ladle Fellowship, when we go down to our Wednesday meals, when we go down to uh, trolley trestles to work with some of the foster ki- kids that are aging out of the foster care system, when we, when we do love links here on our campus, um, when, uh, when our growth groups uh, 
uh, our growth group went to a bridge of hope uh, a, a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago. Our group went to bridge of hope, and we helped in the community of the of, the, uh, of City Heights with food distribution and clothes and clothing distribution. You, you see, as as we love each other, and that love spills out into the community, those out in the outer community come to understand how awesome Jesus' love is. And so we want to we really be... And, and here's, here's the cool thing, is Jesus is praying that you and I would have deep community with each other. See, it's not just something that we're cooking up. It's not something we're making up. It's what Jesus wants, and it's what Jesus is praying for in your life, that you would be involved in this deep, loving community with other believers. That's one, one problem. That's a reason that we say, hey, there's no Lone Ranger Christians. There's no Lone Ranger Christian couples where you just come to church and then you're just gone and you're never a part of anything more because Jesus wants us to be part of communities where we love each other. In fact, isn't that what he said back in chapter 13? Uh, let's, let's look back earlier in the evening. Uh, this is our last message, so this is our chance to look back earlier in the evening. John 13, verse 34. Jesus says, a new command I give you, uh, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by your love for each other as believers, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, so it's, it's, it's a community where we love each other and really care for each other. We serve each other. We, we do more than just talk about loving each other, but we really love each other. And then that love gets spread out into the watching and waiting world. And you know, we are like hardwired for community. All of us. Everyone is hardwired for community. And I think one of the things that keeps people, Christians and non-Christians, from deep community is is this feeling that we get from time to time, or some of us have it all the time, if people knew, if people really knew this about me, they wouldn't welcome me into their community. That's called shame. That there's something inside of me that is so bad that if other people knew it, they wouldn't want to be part of my community. That's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus already knows that. And what does He do with it? He loves you. And He forgives you. And He wants to empower you to live differently. There's nothing that should keep you from community because Jesus loves you and He knows all of that about you. And He wants you to connect in a community and love and be loved. And then as the watching world, as our neighbors, as our friends, as the people we work with, as they see the love of Jesus Christ between us and it spills out to others, they too then will come to know Him. That's what He says back in John 17, right? Verse 23. I and them, John 17, 23. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity, complete community. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, the disciples, the followers, even as you have loved me. 
Jesus prays for this. This is what Jesus prays for for you and me, that we would be involved in communities. We call them sometimes missional communities. Communities that are on mission, that are on a purpose to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. Here's the third thing that um, Jesus prays for us, and I called it this. Here it is. One who always nudges. One who always nudges. Mike and I had a really interesting conversation a couple of weeks after church uh, about, th- about this topic. and uh, uh, So let's take a look at it. Um, look at verse 22. Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Now, so here Jesus says, I have given them the glory. Now, when we think of glory, what glory normally means, what glory means is what majesty. What are some synonyms for glory? Help me out here a little bit. Okay, let me repeat the question. <laughs> what are some synonyms? Synonyms means what? Same thing. Yeah, right. So what are some synonyms for uh, glory? Awesomeness. Honor. Majesty. Reverence. What was it? Light. Yeah, bright light. Splendor. Fame. Praiseworthy. Oh, you guys are awesome. Now, Jesus says that he has given to his followers, his first century followers, and his subsequent followers, us, the glory. Now, here's my problem. Are we, do we have splendor? Do we have majesty? Are we awesome? Should we be revered? Uh, should we be uh, honored? Should we have the fame? And, and my answer is to that is what? No, no, right? (laughs) Who should get all the glory? Only one, right? Um, So why then does Jesus say, (laughs) this is our problem here, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Why does Jesus say this? And what is he saying? Because in fact, in the book of, um, uh, uh, of, one of the books of the Bible, uh, (laughs) one of the books of the Bible, the book of Isaiah, Jesus says, uh, he says twice, I will not share my glory, I will not give my glory to another, right? So I don't think that Jesus is giving us, his followers, that kind of glory, right? So what I think it might be is that Jesus is giving us something or someone, there's a hint, listen up, something or someone that will bring him more glory. Someone or something that is glorious that will bring him great glory. Now, the, the commentators, the, the theologians are divided on, on what this is. Some think that it's, it's, the, it's God's Word. Because God's Word's glorious, right? And it brings God glory. And, and you could go back to chapter 17, verse 8, and, and see uh, a, a reference to that. Uh, For I gave them the words... You gave me, he's talking about the original 11, right? For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. So perhaps it's the words from God himself, right? They are glorious. God's words are glorious and they bring him glory. So that could fit fit the criteria, perhaps. So maybe what Jesus is saying in verse 22 is I gave them your word that you gave to me. I think that could be it. Some commentators, some theologians think that he's talking about the mission that Jesus has given them. 
Uh, so if you look at seven, chapter 17, verse 18, you see that. As you sent me into the world, Father, so it's something the Father gave to the Son. It's glorious, this mission. As you sent me into the world, that brings God glory, the Son coming into the world. So I have sent them into the world. And I think that could be a really good suggestion here. That it's, that it's God's, God is glorified through this mission that He gave to the Son, and the Son now gives us. That could be the solution to verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Both of those things bring glory to God, the Word, and His mission. Both of them bring unity in the body, bring a community in the body. I think that could be it. But I want to suggest a third alternative that um, I think what he's talking about here is about a person who has been very, very important in the first couple of our chapters and now has been totally absent in the prayer. Now, who has been very, very important in chapters 14 and 15 and 16, but has not been even mentioned once in the prayer in chapter 17? Who am I thinking of? The Holy Spirit. Now, does the Holy Spirit fit the criteria that I've made up? Okay, I don't know that these are the exact criteria, but as I look at verse 22, Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Did the Father give the Son the Holy Spirit? At his baptism. The Holy Spirit came down upon him, right? Right, remember? And now is the, is the Son now who has that Holy Spirit, is, he gonna, is the Son going to give the Holy Spirit to his followers? Yes, indeed, right? Very soon. He's been talking about that tonight. And I wonder if this is a, not a cryptic reference. Now, I could be wrong. This will not be on the final exam for heaven whatsoever. I promise you that. And, and if I'm wrong, uh, all sermons are reviewable in heaven. And, and I'm, I'm just anxious for that. But I wonder if this is not the Holy Spirit that he's speaking about here. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He brings glory. He brings glory. He brings glory to the Son and the Father. That's what he lives to do. You know, the Holy Spirit is, the, is intentionally and joyfully the shy member of the Trinity, isn't he? He is always pointing to the Son and to the Father. L- look, for instance, look, for instance, uh, in John chapter 16, verse 14. I think this is probably one of the best theological statements, succinct theological statements about the Holy Spirit. It said, he says, He will... He's speaking of the Holy Spirit, John 16, 14. He will glorify me because it is from me that He will receive what He will make known to you. What the Holy Spirit lives to do is not draw any attention to Himself, but always draw attention to the Son and to the Father. And I wonder is if that is what this prayer is in, back in chapter 17, verse 22. Uh, verse 22 of seven, chapter 17. I have given them the glory. I have given them the Holy Spirit that you gave to me. Martin Luther says that it's as if the Holy Spirit is a professor in a university and the only course he has is talking about Jesus. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit just does? He just always, that's why I, 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 I call this the one who nudges us. He is always nudging us. He's always sending us back. He's always sending us back to the Son, 
to Jesus the Son. This is what the whole, this is what Jesus prays for you. That you would experience the Holy Spirit nudging you daily back to the Son. I was talking to a young lady uh, earlier this week. Some things had kind of fallen apart in her life and the wheels had kind of come off in her life and she just was kind of at, at wit's end and we talked and we prayed. I talked to her a couple of days later and I said, how are you? And she said, you know what? It was as if inside of me I was feeling like a failure and it was as if the Holy Spirit was pushing me back to my Father's love. And she said, you know, yes, I failed at this and I botched this, but He still loves me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus is praying that the Spirit in your life today will nudge you back to Jesus' love for you. That's what He's doing. I want to hit the next one just very quick, although it's so important. Uh, it's, it's that we get taste of the Father's love. That we get taste of the Father's love. Look at verse 23. Uh, 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 the end of verse 23. Then the world will know that you have sent me and you have loved them even as you have loved me. Do, 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 I want you to hear what, 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 what Jesus is pr- praying there. He's praying for you that you and I would know that just as the Father loved His Son, He loves you. You get that at the end of verse 23? That the world will know that you have sent me and that you have loved your followers in the same way as you have loved Jesus, as you've loved me, he says. You see the same thing down at the end of verse 26. I have made, uh, I have made you known to them, your name known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. One of the things that Jesus prays for you and for me is that you would understand and I would understand that the same way the Father loves Jesus, He loves you. You believe Jesus, do you believe the Father loves Jesus? Do you? Yeah. He loves you the same way, even as the Father has loved me. The end of verse 23. I asked a man one day, um, a guy in our church, I asked him, I said, what do, you think, what do you think God thinks about you? And he says, not much. <laughs> and I said, you know, that's what I think sometimes. But you know what the Father thinks about you? He thinks about you just like He thinks about His Son. Because He sees you through His Son. Jesus prays that you would know how wide and how deep and how high and how long the Father's love for you is. And that there's nothing that can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And one last one. Just one last one. Uh, That's all right that there's a day coming when it will all come together. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here in verse 24. Father, I want those that You have given Me to be with Me where I am and to see My glory. Now this is the big glory, right? To see My splendor and My majesty. The splendor and the majesty that You gave Me 
because you love me before the creation of the world. And my friends, Jesus prays, and He prays strong, and He prays hard that this day is coming when all of our tears will be wiped away, when all of the mysteries will be resolved, when all of the pain will disappear from our lives, when we see Jesus being loved by His Father in all of His glory, in which we understand the Father's amazing love for us. Now what I want you to go home with today, I want you to go home with this sense of, as you look back at this passage, that Jesus is praying for you. He's not praying against you. He's not trying to push you off the road. He's not mad at you. He loves you and He is praying for you. And if Jesus is praying for you, you're going to make it. Jesus is with us. Let's pray to Him. Jesus, thank You that You pray to Your Father on our behalf. Thank You that You um, know what our real needs are. You know where we hurt and where we uh, hunger and where we have amazing and great needs for You. You you send us Your Spirit and You have given us Your Word and You give us community to live in and You give us glimpses and tastes of Your Father's amazing love for You that He has that same love for us. And we thank You that our future is certain that Jesus, You have done it all. And that You, yesterday and today and tomorrow, You pray this for us. Thank You, Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship Him. And we're going to invite our ushers to come and share in our morning offering as we do.